Come on, how about a hand for God and what he's continuing to do in all of our hearts. Like that video mentioned, let's continue to keep an attitude of prayer in all of our lives because really it is God that brings the breakthrough in all of our hearts. And uh, if you are new here, my name is Kalai, I'm one of the pastors here. And today we are wrapping up a series that we've been in for the last month called Battle Ready. And the whole premise behind this series is to awaken us to the reality that as soon as we give our hearts to Jesus, we instantly enter into spiritual warfare. But the good thing about God is that he's already won the war through Jesus Christ. And you and I are not fighting for victory, but we're fighting from a position of victory in our lives. And so today, we are wrapping up this series. And if you have your Bibles, Acts chapter 16 is where we're going to be in tonight. We're going to look at two stories from the book of Acts. And the book of Acts is written by a, a doctor named Luke. And uh, he basically was uh, giving us a chronological uh, experience of what happened as soon as Jesus resurrected. Uh, he left the disciples here on earth to really build the church. And the disciples were going out making disciples, but they were also experiencing spiritual opposition. But the good thing about these stories that we're going to see in the book of Acts is that God was miraculously unfolding his power through the disciples. And they were experiencing spiritual breakthrough. And we're going to look at a couple of the stories here tonight. So Acts chapter 16 Verses 16 to 34, it'll be up on screen. It says this, one day as uh, we were going down to the place of prayer, we met a slave girl who had a spirit that enabled her to tell the future. So it was an evil spirit that allowed uh, them to see into the future. So there's good spirits and this one was a demonic spirit that allowed them to see the future. So she followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the most high God. She's proclaiming truth, even through an evil spirit. These men are uh, servants of the most high God, and they have come to tell you how to be saved. This went on day after day until Paul got so exasperated that he turned and said to the demon within her, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And here's the reality of that. Instantly, it left her. Verse 19, her master's hopes of wealth were now shattered. So they grabbed Paul and Silas and dragged them before the authorities at the marketplace. The whole city is in an uproar because of these Jews. They shouted to the city officials. They are teaching customs that are illegal for us Romans to practice. Now that's a lie. Verse 22, a mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas, and the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. Say, ouch. Ouch. They were severely beaten, and then they were thrown into prison. How's that? The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape. So the jailer put them into the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in the stocks. Verse 25, here's where it gets better. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, what we were just doing a few moments ago. And the other prisoners were listening. Suddenly, there was a massive earthquake, and the prison doors, uh, prison was shaken to its foundation. All the doors immediately flew open, and the chains of every prisoner fell off. Come on, somebody. That's good. The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. He assumed the prisoners 
had escaped, so he drew his sword to kill himself because uh, he thought that his life was in danger. But Paul shouted to him, stop, don't kill yourself, we are all here. The jailer called for lights and ran to the dungeon and fell down, trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and asked them this question, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Here's the reply, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved along with everyone in your household. Come on, that's good. And they shared the word of the Lord with him and with all who lived in his household. Even at the hour of the night, the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds. Then he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. He brought them into his house and set a meal before them. And he and his entire household rejoiced because they all believe in God. I want to speak a message to us from this premise Worship is our weapon. Worship is our weapon. If you're ready for the word, say yeah. If you want God to speak to your heart, say oh yeah. Come on, let's pray and allow God to speak to us tonight. God, we thank you, Lord, that you're constantly moving. Lord, we thank you that you're constantly stirring, and we thank you that you're speaking to all of our hearts here tonight. We want to hear from you, not from a preacher. We want your spirit to speak to us. So we position ourselves to hear from you. Give us eyes to see ears to hear, and a heart that is soft, open, and receptive for everything that you want to deposit into us tonight. We want to leave better than we came, and only you can do that. So we allow you to speak to us. In your beautiful name we pray, amen and amen. Worship is our weapon. As I was prepping for this message, I had a revelation that I've been saved for over 20 years. Kind of crazy. I'm 25 years old, so pretty much all my life I've been saved. Nah, that's a joke. I'm old. I'm really old. Um, but when I was reflecting on my younger years in the faith, I was reminded of this one particular memory that kind of opened my eyes to the reality of spiritual warfare that you and I find ourselves in. Now, I'm taking a risk sharing this story because it's going to make me sound crazy, but I know that this is a reality that many of us have experienced in our lives. And so when I was early in my faith, I had a routine where I would read the Bible early in the morning and before I went to sleep. And so on this one particular uh, evening, I'm in my room uh, reading the Bible. I'm lying on the floor. And now my, my room is on the second floor of our house. And so I'm reading the Bible. And I just had this feeling. I don't know if you ever had this before. But I had a sense that someone was just watching you. If you ever had that before, but you just kind of feel like eyes are on you somehow. And so um, as I'm reading, I just am distracted by this feeling that I'm being watched. Now, I'm in my room. I'm in my room by myself. And so I just had this sensing that eyes were on me. So I, I decided to look up from what I was reading. And then as I looked up, I had horizontal blinds. And as I looked up through the blinds from my angle that I was on the floor, I saw, like, the best thing that I could describe was, like, someone wearing a Halloween mask that had an ugly face. And so there was bright red eyes, and immediately I saw this, and I yelled, hey, <laughs> this is me now, uh, in the middle of the night, I'm lying down on the floor, no one's around, I yell, hey, and all I hear was footsteps. So I'm like, what the heck, someone is watching me? So I run downstairs in my house, I grab my little league baseball bat, 
And I went outside. I'm thinking, man, someone is messing with me. My brother saw me in this commotion, sprint out of the house. He joins me. He's like, bro, what's happening? I was like, bro, someone was upstairs watching me in my room. He's like, what? I'm like, yeah, a person with an ugly mask was watching me as I was reading my Bible. So we both walking around the neighborhood looking for someone. Couldn't find anyone, okay? <laughs> Looked like crazy people in the middle of the night. And even me sharing this story with you makes me look like I'm a crazy person. But I kid you not, I am a pastor. I'm not lying. I know what I saw. It literally saw like someone was wearing a Halloween mask, what many of us are going to see in a couple days. And so uh, I'm just a little disturbed thinking like, man, I know I'm not crazy. I know what I saw. And uh, I go back into the house, hearts all racing, and then I get a phone call. A friend called me and said, hey, is everything all right? And I'm like, man, you don't even know what just happened. I explained to him the story, and he's like, it's so crazy because I just felt a prompting to pray for you, and I just knew that I, instead of just praying for you, I should give you a call. And I'm like, this is what happened. And he said, I don't think what you, what you experienced was just a random person. I think what you experienced was the demonic spirit trying to intimidate you from growing in your faith. Now, as soon as he said that, you know what started to happen? Fear started to take over all aspects of my heart. Now, we know that fear is not from God because the Bible says that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And as he was sharing this to me, I realized that this spiritual war that you and I are in is real. It's real. And maybe you have had a similar experience, maybe not. But that doesn't mean that you're not avoiding this spiritual opposition that we find ourselves in. As soon as we give our hearts to Jesus Christ, we enter into spiritual warfare, but we're not fighting for victory. We're fighting from a position of victory in our lives. God has given us everything that we need to overcome. So this friend prayed for me, and I was awakened to the reality that we're in a spiritual warfare. But the second thing that I was awakened to is, why did I go grab a Little League baseball bat? Like, out of everything that I could have grabbed, I grabbed a bat, and a bat would maybe do some damage in a physical fight, but a bat wouldn't do any damage in a spiritual fight. Because the Bible says that we don't fight with carnal weapons, we fight with spiritual weapons. And the reality of the weapon that you and I have is our worship. Our worship, more than songs that we sing, it's the life that we live, is our primary weapon that God has given us to push back the kingdom of darkness and advance the kingdom of light. And so tonight, we're going to unpack how God's word gives us this powerful thing called worship to engage and fight against the enemy in our lives. Four points that I want to leave us with tonight as we're concluding this series. First point in our notes is this. Enemy pushback often comes when we are doing the right thing. You're going to get pushback especially if you're doing the right thing that God has called you and I to do. Verse 18 and 19 gives us an insight to this. Paul got so exasperated by the spirit that he turned and said to the demon within this girl, I command you in the name of Jesus to come out of her. And instantly it left her. You would think, let's all celebrate this girl is finally free. But here's the opposition. Her master's hopes of wealth were now shattered so they grabbed Paul and Silas and dragged them 
before the authorities at the marketplace. This girl that was bound for years finally experiences freedom. Paul and Silas do the right thing to set her free, but instead of getting a reward, they get persecution. They get beatings. They get thrown into prison. And a couple of things I want to say about this is that sometimes when we come to faith, not a lot of people are going to be excited about this. Here's why. Some won't rejoice in your freedom because they benefited from your captivity. Let me explain this. A lot of times people benefit from you being bound up. They benefit from your, your weaknesses. They benefit from the areas in your life that you experience compromise in. They have some residual benefit. As soon as you get set free, they no longer can benefit from you. So they start hating on you. Don't be discouraged about this hate because it really is a revelation from God that they had ulterior motives for their relationship with you. So it might be God's way of cutting out some toxic relationships because they're not celebrating your freedom. They were celebrating your captivity. So be mindful of who you are surrounding yourselves with because sometimes people are around you because they benefit from you in a negative way. So this girl gets instantly free, and the people that can't make money off of her start to bring persecution to Paul and Silas. Now, Paul and Silas were filled with the Spirit. They did the right thing and immediately experienced opposition in their lives. Imagine being obedient to God, and the result of your obedience means you get beaten and thrown into prison. Immediately, you're going to be thinking, why the heck did I do the right thing, right? You're going to start to question, did I do the right thing? Am I on the right path? And we always start to think that if doing the right thing should lead to an easy life. That's one of the lies that you and I sometimes believe, that doing the right thing leads to an easy life. Now, let me clarify this. Doing the wrong thing can bring unnecessary consequences, meaning this, if you break the law, and then you get arrested for it, and you get thrown into prison, you might think that's spiritual opposition. No, that's not opposition. That's called consequences, okay, for breaking the law. That's not what we're talking about here tonight. We're talking about doing the right thing and experience op experiencing opposition because of doing the right thing. And sometimes we think that doing the right thing will lead to an easy life. Let me explain. We're in football season, and any defense, if you're on offense, any defense will always try to stop you from getting to the goal line. But if you're running in the opposite direction, they're not going to go chasing after you. They're going to let you run. Why? Because you're doing, they're doing, you're doing them a favor. You're scoring for them. So they'll be like, go ahead. In fact, they might even encourage you, keep on running because you're going in the opposite direction. But as soon as you put your foot in the ground and make a pivot to head in the right direction, that's when the defense starts to put pressure on you. Same thing goes for us spiritually. As soon as you make a decision to repent, that's what repentance is. It's turning away from sin and turning to God. That's when the spiritual opposition will stop to try to stop you from experiencing the purposes and the plan of God for your life. So opposition is not a sign that you're heading in the wrong direction. It's confirmation that you're heading in the right direction. You're doing the right thing. That's why people are trying to stop you from experiencing the life that God has for you. 
And like any football team, the closer you get to the goal line, the harder the opposition is. Sometimes the biggest breakthrough is right around the corner because of the opposition that you're facing is tremendous. Don't stop. Keep on persevering because your breakthrough is right there. Some of us are right there. You're at the one inch line feeling like you should give up, but God is saying, keep on going because your breakthrough is right around the corner. So opposition, come on somebody, let's give God praise. Opposition is confirmation that you're heading in the right direction. If your life is smooth sailing, you might have to ask yourself the question, am I heading in the right direction? Because if we are, we should experience opposition. Second point in our notes is this. Worship shifts our perspective and focus to God. Verse 25 says this. At about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. This midnight hour is symbolic of the darkest moments in our lives. And everyone in this place has had a dark moment of the soul where things have been hitting you from all sorts of angles and directions and you feel like you're at your lowest point. And in their darkest moment, they weren't partying. They were praying and praising. They were giving God the glory in the midst of their persecution. Here's the truth. They didn't allow their external situation to change their internal condition. They didn't allow what's happening on the outside to change who they were on the inside. They were allowing the peace of God who was on the inside of them to supersede the external conditions that they found themselves in as disciples and followers of God. Too often when we're going through stuff, prayer and worship are the last thing that we're thinking about going through. Worshiping God is the last thing that we want to do when we're going through stuff. But for them, it was their first response. For you and I, I find myself doing this too. Instead of praying, we're having a party. It's called a pity party where no one else is invited but you, right? And we're wallowing in our sorrows. Or instead of having a pity party, we start blaming other people for the situation that we're in. Or even worse, we start medicating ourselves to find some temporary relief in our lives because of the situation that we're going through. Let's be like Paul and Silas and not let external circumstances change our internal condition. Let's continue to have a faith that God is working in our lives even in the midst of that difficult situation. Because here's the truth when we're going through, going through trials, and it's this. Whatever we focus on grows. Whatever you and I put our focus on, that's what's going to grow in our lives. And sometimes when we're going through difficulties and problems, our problems is all we see. Now, my phone can be an example of what a problem looks like. And this is what many of our lives, myself included, when we go through situations, here's what happens. We start to think about our problems. We start to focus on our problems. And we start to allow our problems to consume us. We're thinking about our problems. It consumes all of our thoughts. And here's what happens. Our problems start to go closer and closer to our eyes. And before we know it, our problems is all we see. That's all we see. 
this trial that I'm going through, this struggle that I'm in, that's all we see. And we start to see everything in life through the lens of our problems. Now, what worship does is this. It doesn't remove our problems, but it shifts our focus. Worship starts to get our eyes off of our problems and onto God who's bigger than our problems. So when we start to give God praise, here's what happens. Our problems begin to get smaller because our focus is now on the God who's bigger than our problems. That's why I want to encourage you that worship means that we should come to church on time. Why do we need to come to church on time? Because what we're doing is shifting our focus off of our problems to a God that's bigger than our problems. Worship is not the warm-up for the word. I don't need to get warmed up. Come on, somebody. Worship is more for us to get our eyes focused on a God that's bigger than us. So don't come strolling in 20 minutes late because what we're doing for the first part of worship is really shifting our perspective. Maybe you had a difficult time getting to church. Maybe you just fought with your spouse right outside of church. You need to shift your perspective, come on somebody, off of the problems onto a God that's bigger than our problems. Now I want to invite you now to not just come to service to sing songs. We're not singing songs. We're declaring who God is and reminding ourselves of who God is. We're not reminding God of who he is. God's confident in who he is. We're reminding ourselves of who God is. Why? Because we forget. We forget how big our God is. Why? Because our focus is on our problems. And when we start to declare the truth of God to ourselves, we're reminding ourselves, my God is bigger than this problem. He's bigger than this. So I'm going to put my focus on this God, and the more, the more I make him big, the smaller our problems begin to appear. Now, nothing will change in our lives, but the main thing that's going to change is our perspective. We're shifting our perspective off of ourselves onto a God that's bigger than ourselves. And I want to encourage you to sing. Even if you can't sing, sing. The Bible says make a joyful noise. And so all worship is welcome. Even if it sounds like noise to your neighbor, it's a beautiful worship to our God. And it's not for your neighbor. Remind them, this is not for you. This is for him. And even if I can't sing, I'm not going to allow what you think about me to stop my praise. I want us to have this mindset when we come into church. I got 99 problems, but my praise ain't one of it. Come on, somebody. My praise is going to be bigger than my problems. I might not be able to control my circumstances, but I can always control my praise. And so I'm always going to bring my best praise to God because he is worthy of it all. And when we make God big, our problems become smaller because we're shifting our focus. And the thing I love about this passage is it reminds us that people are watching. You know, our best witness is not just the good things that we tell about God. Our best witness to other people is how we navigate difficulties in life. People are always watching us, but they're specifically looking at us when we go through difficult seasons. Because trials and tribulations are reality for everyone in life. What makes us different is not that we are experiencing a storm-free life, but we're experiencing a storm-proof life because we have a Jesus that is an anchor to our soul. 
And so when people are looking at us, like what this story reminds us of is that they're looking at what we say and how we live. And our best witness can come when we are feeling like giving up, but we're continuing to choose. No, I'm going to give God my best. I'm not going to allow my circumstances and my situations from, from stopping me from giving God my best praise. Our greatest witness for Christ is keeping the faith during difficult times. That's why 1 Thessalonians 5.16 says this, rejoice always, pray continually. Here's the best part, give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. You know who wrote this? Paul. Paul wrote this. And Paul is writing from experience because Paul was worshiping in his worst condition. And he was saying, man, there's something that you're going to experience when you choose to worship God in the midst of a difficult situation. Worship will always cost us something. That's why it's called a sacrifice of praise. When it's difficult for you to worship and you still make a decision to worship, that's called a sacrifice of praise. And those are the worship that God truly appreciates because we're making the decision in spite of how we feel to make God big. So in the middle of your pain, continue to pray and praise. That's the takeaway for someone here tonight. You're going through stuff and you feel like giving up. In when the opposition is at its strongest, that's when your praise needs to be the loudest. You need to make sure that your praise will always be loud because our God is worthy of it all. Third point in our notes is this. Worship leads to breakthrough for us and those around us. Verse 26 says this. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundation of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. You know what all in the Greek means here? All. So everybody in that prison who was bound up by something got free. Not just Paul and Silas. Not just the ones that were giving God the praise. But their praise paved the way for other people to experience breakthrough in their lives as well. So when we praise, our breakthrough is not just for ourselves, but we're praying and praising God for the breakthrough in our friends, in our families, and the people all around us, that our praise has a ripple effect that impacts people around us. I say it like this. Our worship is like a seesaw. When our worship goes up, breakthrough comes down. When our praise goes up, peace comes down. When our songs go up to God, strength comes down for us and for people around us. And so what we see from this story is that their praise paved the way for other people to experience breakthrough in their lives. It reminds me of a retreat that we had back in the day. Now, Makaha Resorts is not in existence today. It got closed down. But we used to do these college and young adult retreats at different locations. And now in this one particular location, it was done at Makaha Valley. And uh, if you ever did a, a retreat or a camp, you know that the, the first night of camp has all the action. Like just stuff starts to happen on the first night of a camp or a retreat. And on this one particular night, I was just new to being in full-time ministry. We had Pastor Joe Onasai preach a powerful message and he was doing an altar call. He's basically 
getting people to surrender their lives to Jesus. Now everyone is up at the altar, and we're leading people into a relationship with God. But here's what we did before that. We started to sing. We started to worship. And in the middle of the worship, a girl who was wearing all white, ironically, in the middle of the altar, just screamed bloody murder in the middle of this response portion. Just like screaming, ah, ah. And I'm on stage with Pastor Billy, and immediately what we see is she falls down. And we knew something was happening. Some spiritual demonic thing in our life started to manifest. And here's what began to happen is that everyone took their eyes off of God and started to fix their eyes on this situation. So everyone started immediately trying to pray for her. And so everyone's like praying for her and so forth. And Pastor Billy on stage says, stop praying. Get her out of here. Because what the enemy was trying to do is distract the moment where people were trying to dis surrender their hearts to Jesus. So they take this girl out, and that was just the beginning of a lot of things starting to manifest in the hearts of people. Another girl in particular, as we were leading people to fully surrender their hearts to Jesus, she was in the back end. We could tell from the stage, like, man, something is going on here. And we need to kind of get her out before things get out of hand. So we send two of our small group leaders to begin to escort her out so that we can have a moment of focus to deal with the situation, but also not be a distraction to what God was doing in the, the service. And so they start escorting her out. And then I go outside to see what's happening. And as they're walking outside, now this girl was kind of, she's kind of big, but the guys are big. And so they're walking her out like this with her arms. And immediately I just saw her like throw two of the guys like this, boom. And I watched that unfold. I was like, oh, crap, I'm going to go back inside. <laughs> I'm just new to full-time ministry. I'm not ready to deal with this stuff yet. <laughs> I saw that. I was like, man, this is not for me. We'll get some Pastor Camille to deal with this situation. I ran back inside. And uh, the thing I like about now, that the long story short, that that girl outside got set free. The great thing about it is that she's still in our church today. She's still a small group leader. She's uh, actually leading the next generation at one of our congregations. And God just opened my eyes to see that the power of Jesus can set people free. That if you're in any kind of bondage, Jesus is bigger than your bondage. That when we fully surrender our hearts to God, the power of God is greater than any demonic oppression that you find yourselves in. And I was given first front row access to seeing the power of God at work in the hearts of people. And so this got me to see that, man, this stuff that we're talking about is real. The power and the name of Jesus is real. And looking back on that retreat... Some of our strongest small group leaders today were birthed out of that retreat. What was the enemy trying to do? Stop destinies from being unfolding. But the power of God is bigger than any opposition. And when we invite the power of God to a fully surrendered heart, enemy got to go. The enemy has to flee. Here's another story. In verse 29 and 32, the jailer called for lights and ran to the dungeon and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, along with everyone in your household. And they shared the word of the Lord with him and with all who lived in his household. An entire household came to faith because of the experience that Paul and Silas went through. Your persecution right now 
is a doorway for other people to come to faith. How we navigate difficult seasons in our lives will determine if people get to experience God through our lives. When God is writing a story, the story is always bigger than ourselves. It's always to impact and to influence people around us, especially people who don't know God. And so Paul and Silas, their situation led to an entire family coming to faith because of this story. What story is God trying to write in your life tonight? What destinies that are around you that God wants to use you and your story to set them free? Let's allow God to work in us so that he can work through us to impact other people. One of our pastors, Robbie Ching, had a tremendous story. Now, this happened before I came to faith. But this story is so powerful that we haven't shared in a long time that I want to bring to our remembrance. Currently, Robbie is one of our pastors at our newest church plant, our recent church plant, uh, Pearlside Kaneohe. He's one of the discipleship pastors there. Before that, he was spending seven years in, uh, as a missionary in Yokohama, Japan. But as a teenager, he was troubled. Robbie had a lot of unforgiveness and bitterness in his heart because of his family situation growing up. And his sister at that time was practicing witchcraft. And her boyfriend was kind of like a Satanist. And so during this time, Robbie didn't believe in the supernatural. He didn't believe in any demonic activity. But he had a personal experience related to this. And so this is what Robbie shares as far as his story goes. And I'm going to read it to you. He says this, at home, I would have weird experiences every week. At night before sleeping, I would feel as if someone was watching me. Every night, I would suddenly wake up at 3 a.m. for no apparent reason. In the morning, there will be scratches on various parts of my body. And as a young person, I attended a youth camp. During that camp, the pastor had a response time after his message. I do not remember why I was standing in the front, but the people started to pray for me. And all of a sudden, I fell down on the ground. Someone next to me started screaming over and over. And I was thinking, is that person okay? What happened? Then I realized that the person screaming was me. The leaders took me to a different room and began to pray for me. I sat in a chair and people began to pray. When they started to pray, I jumped off the chair and the people around me held me on the ground. It took six people to hold me down. He was ridiculously strong. Actually, one of our pastors said that he was curling people in both arms. This kid was about 100, a buck 20 at that time, and he was curling people twice his size. And when the demon wanted to talk, it started with a feeling in my stomach that moved up to my throats and words not from me would start to come out. After four hours of praying, this is funny, the leaders were so hungry that they decided to take a break. Like, man, this is, this is a lot. Let's take a lunch break. I'm not going to tell you who, but if you knew who, you would laugh too. I went back to the hotel room and began to sleep. Another who was in the room began to read the Bible aloud. And as he began to read, my body, my body started moving. And I started growling out loud. And when he would stop, my body would stop moving. I learned from this experience the power of confessing the word of God. Spoken word. Later, he left the room and I was alone. During that time, I woke up and walked to the balcony. We were on the 12th floor and people and demons began to talk to me over and over the demons would say, just jump, just jump. And I held on to the bars asking God to help me. Now, this was the first time that he asked God to help him. Up until this point, people were praying for him. But this was the first time he invited God to help him personally. And here's what happened. 
My friends came later, and we went to the service as usual. During the response time again, I was taken to a separate room to be prayed for. Again, the demon began to speak. People had to hold me down, and people started praying for me. Many demons came out during that session, and a pastor asked me, what is your name? And the demon replied, I am Legion. Crazy. An inter interesting thing happened during that prayer. A pastor asked me to say out loud the name of Jesus. With all my power, I could not utter the name of Jesus. It was like, just, just over and over again, I couldn't completely say the name Jesus until the word Jesus finally came out. The name of Jesus truly has power, and I believe that when the that's when the breakthrough started happening. In the end, the demon was screaming and moving very violently, and I remember when it finally ended because I stopped screaming, my face changed, and my vision went from being hazy to clear. The leaders there said I looked totally different, and my atmosphere changed as well. I still have scars on my hand that is visible to this day. I receive uh, to this day, I received when people were holding me down. But every time I, looked at, I look at them, I'm thankful and remember what Jesus has done for me. The result of this deliverance was uh, Robbie's mom coming to faith and Robbie's grandfather both receiving Christ because of this situation. Now, that's what God wants to do. Not just get our hearts saved, but our entire household to come to faith through Christ. Robbie says this, the most profound gift of this deliverance isn't the joy of a harmonious marriage with a loving spouse and child, nor is it the privilege of serving as a full-time minister or missionary. All of that is great within itself. However, it's the recognition of his boundless mercy and kindness extended to a sinner like me, allowing me to experience his presence even more in my daily life. The same thing that God did through Robbie is the same thing that God wants to do in all of our hearts. He wants to set us free so that we can help set other people free. Now, Robbie had a tremendous destiny. He was a missionary. Now he's helping out at a church plant. The devil knew all of this and was trying to stop that from happening. There's a destiny in all of our hearts. And there's a real enemy trying to stop us from experiencing that destiny. Don't be discouraged. Realize that the God in us is greater than the enemy in front of us. So no matter what you're facing or going through, we don't keep our eyes on our enemy. We focus our eyes on Jesus. Last point in our notes is this. Our power is rooted in a relationship with Jesus. We started this series with this point and we're ending this series. Reminding us, reminding us of this point. Everything starts with a right relationship with Jesus. Acts 19 says this. Some of this, uh, another story gives us this uh, a reverence of how powerful the name of Jesus is, but also how necessary a right relationship with Jesus is. Acts 19, 13 to 16 says this, Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, In the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish priest, were doing this. One day, the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. 
That's not a story that we want to happen in our lives. But it's a story in the Bible that gives us the idea that there's power in the name of Jesus. But the power in the name of Jesus comes from having a right relationship with Jesus. These guys wanted to activate the power of God without a relationship with God. And that only got them so far. The name of Jesus is powerful in itself, but it only comes if we have a right relationship with Jesus. So there's power in the name, but the power comes from us having a relationship with the name, the name of Jesus. So this story is reminding us that if we don't have a right relationship with Jesus, we have no power. No Jesus, no power. No Jesus, no power. K-N-O-W. So if we don't know Jesus, we won't know power. But if we do know Jesus, we'll experience power and then some. So power comes from knowing the person behind the power. It's Jesus Christ. If we're fully surrendered to Jesus, we don't have anything to fear. We can have confidence and assurance that no matter what happens in our lives, he'll give us the grace that we need to get through it. Now, if we're questioning if our lives are fully surrendered to Jesus, if there's areas of our lives that aren't completely under the lordship of Jesus, this is an opportunity for us to get right. The reality of all of us is this. We will drift. We might have been solid in one season, and maybe you're drifting in this season. The love of God and the patience of God is this. He will always give us time to get right. And so if tonight you're not fully right with God, maybe your relationships aren't under his lordship or your finances aren't under, the, under his lordship, this is an opportunity for us to fully surrender to him and invite him into every area of our lives. God doesn't want to just be invited into your living room. He wants to be invited into every room in our hearts. And for most of us, some of us, we have rooms and closets in our hearts that we want to keep God out. That's the very room that he wants to enter in. Because if he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. 